Hey, and welcome back to God's Word During Exile. This is a podcast where pastors get together and we have a Bible study. Right now we are going through the book of Revelation and we are happy to have you back. Sorry for the break. Last week was Holy Week. We hope that you all had an enjoyable Holy Week as you went through and traversed Jesus's journey as he entered Jerusalem and was crucified and, spoiler alert, came back from the dead victorious. Um, one of the things that I shared with my congregation this Sunday, which they thought was kind of comical was, um, nobody likes to be told, I told you so. And on Sunday we celebrated the greatest, I told you so in human history, you know, Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't do anything that he didn't already say that he was gonna, and, uh, we're encouraged and essentially saved because he conquered death on the cross and proved it at the empty tomb. So he did exactly what he told us he was going to do. And we are grateful for it. And I'm sure I speak for the rest of the guys when I say, that's why we come here and we do this Bible study is because of what Christ did for us. All of it is an offshoot, an empowerment of Christ working in our own lives. And we pray that he will work in your lives as well as we're going through this study. So that's what really spurs us on, encourages us, and keeps us going and energized as we do studies like this and share the word of God with our congregations and, (coughs) excuse me, interact with our communities as well. Um, So really quick, I'm just going to take a guess. I'm going to say Mike Hussey's above me. Ben's over here on the side over here. The dubs, Matt Matt Nelson over here. There we go. Uh, And we're happy that uh, we could come back together and continue to study the book of Revelation. Thanks to those who have reached out to us, too, and have really told us that they're enjoying the study. Uh, It really is an encouragement to, well, mainly just me. I haven't heard from anybody else. Um, But it's really an encouragement for me uh, that we have people who are listening And uh, I know you guys have shared that as well. I'm just giving you a hard time. And I apologize to the person who told me not to give Mike Hussey a hard time. And I just did it. I broke my own rule. So no, see, this is the sinful tendency. Like we're one week out of not recording. And literally the first thing I do is just take a jab at Mike Hussey. Like the old nature, man. Jab away. I can take it. There it is. There it is. No, I can't. You're a fine, upstanding gentleman who, man, guys, I don't, I think everyone should do themselves a service and go backwards into our recordings and just look how spectacular Mike Hussey's mustache is coming in. Like he is practically a villain right now. Look at that thing. <laughs> we need oh, to get a little longer, get some curly cues going. And oh, I need a black so hat. Good. And he's running out of wax, so anybody that could send him some more mustache wax, he needs it. I, I actually true. just ordered mustache wax, but shout oh, out to dude, Viking Revolution. Have... It's good stuff, man. Oh, that's actually our sponsor for today is, what is it? Viking, Viking Revolution. <laughs> they send Viking you a guitar Revolution. pick when you order guitar, uh, wax. Oh, oh I have so no use wax for that. and a guitar pick. Hey, yeah. uh... Thanks for being our sponsor this week. We appreciate it. Unbeknownst to you. So if you're looking for some beard wax, Viking Revolution is the way to go. All right, let's dig into God's word. We had enough fun today. Uh, For those of you who are following along and you like to get out your Bibles or uh, follow along online or some sort of digitalness, if you're driving, I would prefer that you not open up a Bible and read it at the moment. Do the safe thing. And just allow um, Ben to, you know, do a little bit of story time. So pull up your proverbial uh, carpet square. And after we get done praying, Ben Baker is uh, going to give us a little a little reading, uh, interpretive reading, if you will, of Revelation 7 verses 9 through 17. Uh, that's where we're going to be for today. And I'm confident that we will do a spectacular job going through it. And I'm going to be quiet because obviously things have come <laughs> off the rails. So let's I just, pull everything back together. Yeah. What? I just really wonder, is interpretive reading like liturgical <laughs> dance? Is it the same thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that Ben <laughs> will do be you know, some disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you just read it in Greek. Is that right? 
I mean, your chair's on wheels, right? So you can at least you can at least spin around while you're reading it, I suppose. All right, bring us back to the real world, Mike. Uh, if you wouldn't mind opening us up in prayer, and then we promise we're going to get serious after that, except for a couple of gifts and memes. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to dig back into your word. Lord, your word is truth, and I pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Lord, as we now look into Revelation chapter 7, I ask that you would use it to show us our sin, bring us to repentance, and Lord, point us to Christ, strengthen our faith in him. We thank you for this holy week that we just went through where we remember the sacrifice of Christ for us and his resurrection and victory over the grave constantly encourage us by those things. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 7, uh, verses 9 through 17, reading from the English Standard Version. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> All right, Ben, when we were talking beforehand, you actually mentioned that uh, you preached on this very passage just a couple of weeks ago uh, on Palm Sunday because there are some pretty cool connections between this passage and the triumphal entry in John 6, right? Well, I did. I didn't do any John passages, but oh, yes. it, it probably wasn't even John 6, but there's a cool connection with John. John 12. I don't think the triumphal entry is John it should 6, be in is it? John, John 12, I believe it is. See, um, I just divided by two. So. Actually, you know what you were doing? You were just trying to see if our listeners and, and us were like ready and prepared. You were just testing us. You knew that you knew where it was. Yeah, yeah, I knew exactly. It was yeah. just chapter 12 divided by two donkeys. Exactly. There, that's what I was doing. But Ben, there were there were cool connections between these these passages, right? Yeah. So along with John chapter 12, this is the only other uh passage in the new testament where palm branches are specifically mentioned and so um it's interesting that you have the the people the crowd there on um what we now call palm sunday or sunday of the passion when jesus rode into jerusalem um that final time before his death and they were waving palm branches and they were crying out well various things but one of the things that they would say was what hosanna which means save us now basically right they're crying out for i was muted i was salvation i was gonna look so smart and i was muted i was screaming save us <laughs> dang lost it that's probably the only good thing i'm gonna say this whole study and i was muted for it. um and here you have you know you have saints clothed in white robes this huge multitude and they have palm branches in their hands and they are also crying out um you know, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so both both are crying out words of, you know, cries for, you know, in the one case for salvation, the other praising God for the salvation that he has accomplished. Uh, they're waving palm branches. Um, and so, you know, both are celebrating Christ, um, just kind of in two different 
settings in a, in a sense here we have you know in our passage we have the victorious lamb who um won that victory on good friday which is a good day should all sing the hymn sing my tongue the glorious battle because why don't you sing a few verses for us ben that wouldn't be helpful to anyone um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know and the other one um you know before comes before that you know and so it's kind of interesting in the you know what we call the triumphal entry doesn't look very triumphant right jesus is riding on a donkey he's not riding on a war horse right he doesn't come into the you know the sounds of trumpets and heraldry and all of that you know he's got he's got some people around him who are laying down their cloaks and they're waving palm branches and they're crying out you know things that you know hosanna to the son of david you know blesses you comes in the name of the lord right and the pharisees are and the chief priests, they're perturbed, they're upset, you know, but there's no threat to Rome. Rome's doesn't even, it's like, whatever. We don't even care about this event that's happening, you know, and there were people in Jerusalem who didn't even know who Jesus was. And so, you know, it's like, is that really a triumphal entry? And then, and then what happens after that, you know, there's all kinds of conflict with the chief priests and the Pharisees, you know, Jesus has to cleanse the temple and all of that, and eventually he ends up, you know, being betrayed, you know, put on trial by a kangaroo court, convicted by worthless, you know, on the account of worthless testimony, right, handed over to be crucified, so on and so forth. We know that story, right? So it doesn't look like much of a triumph, right? And so, you know, well, were they wrong to wave the palm branches and, you know, and sing praises to Christ? Well, no, that, you know, that victory came in the most unexpected way right what looked like you know satan's victory and jesus defeat was actually jesus victory and satan's defeat and we kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of that here in revelation 7 where the saints before the throne they are also waving palm branches and they're crying out you know praising god for the salvation that he won they're on the cross just later that week from when he rode into jerusalem for the last time so it's kind of an interesting connection there yeah, I don't know if it's right to refer to it this way because Jesus riding in in the triumphal entry wasn't exactly a prophecy, but this this passage almost feels like the fulfillment of the events that that happened there as Jesus rode in, right? Because they're they're begging for salvation with Hosanna, and now we see salvation has come. Salvation is ours through Christ. Yeah, we do get the connection back in Zechariah chapter nine, you know, with the you know the proclamation to Zion to rejoice, you know, greatly daughter Zion, your king is coming to you, you know, humble and having salvation as he riding on a donkey, right? So, so we can go, you know, Isaiah 9 or Zechariah 9 to the gospel text um, of the triumphal entry to Revelation 7. There you go. Just draw a straight line. Wait, way to make my, uh, my word of fulfillment actually work, Ben. <laughs> Encyclopedia no Bentanica does it again. <laughs> <laughs> well isn't that cool though how the prophecies work that you know because i think you were trying to say that the the account of the triumphal entry itself it actually happening wasn't so much the prophecy but going back then to the old testament and the initial prophecy in zechariah it you see it starting there and we get a, a glimpse of it when jesus comes in on the donkey but again it's 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 only part of the picture and it, it doesn't seem so impressive, but now we get to see it at its completion and, and unveiled for what it really is, which is true victory and true rejoicing in the true King. Um, and all of it comes to a head. And, and so, you know, often the prophecies then have kind of these layers of fulfillments and, and some of them, found their maybe their end in the first coming of Jesus, but many of them come to full conclusion in the second coming of Christ and, and when on the last day or when we're finally before the Lord. So here in, in Revelation chapter seven, we've got a great multitude, people from all over the place. These are the ones who are singing the praises of Jesus and waving these palm branches. You know, just before this, we had that vision of the 144,000, the, the church militant. But what is this, this great multitude praising Christ for his salvation 
Um, who is this multitude? What, what should we see them as? So this is what we would call the church triumphant, which are the saints in heaven who have uh, physically died. Their souls are with Christ and they await the bodily resurrection. So they are no longer in battle. You know, the struggle is, is over. They are at peace and they are waiting um, for the justice of God to come in Christ and for the resurrection of their bodies. Um, and it's kind of an interesting thing too. Um, i trying to think. I think I've, I've heard this text connected to the Tower of Babel before. Um, and it doesn't always work super great for me, but I think I understand kind of what's coming with this. So the idea, you know, the Tower of Babel, they all had one language and they tried to build this tower to heaven, right? And God came down and confused the languages and scattered the people, right? And here it's kind of a gathering back in of all the people. I mean, they're, they still have their distinct languages, but it's kind of, you can see it in, in some ways as kind of a, in a sense, a reversal of the scattering at Babel, like, you know, instead of being scattered throughout the earth and um, confused in, in communication and language and, you know, what, and often um, hostility comes between different people groups and so on. But here, you know, you have before the throne of God, people from every nation, all tribes, peoples, languages, you know, all coming together around the throne of God, praising the same lamb, the same God who has saved them, confessing the same faith, uh, proclaiming the same salvation, you know, regardless of who they are, where they came from, as far as, you know, what, what family they belong to, what ethnic group they come from, no matter what particular country in which they lived or came, what transcends all of that and unites all of that is their common faith and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, it's just a good reminder to us that, you know, our Christian faith and the salvation of God knows no national boundaries. It's not defined by, you know, borders and pieces of land and, you know, ruling governments and so on. It's not restricted by what kind of DNA, you, you know, what DNA you have, you know, what color of skin you have, you know, whatever. God's salvation is for all people and it knows no boundaries and no, you know, no boundaries that we can erect can keep God and his word and his salvation from breaking through and uniting otherwise hostile and diverse peoples. Um, and so um, into his one body. So it's kind of a, a neat picture. And so, um, yeah, there we go. Gospel what, truth. What movie is that even from? You're muted again, Mike. Hercules, bro. Ah. Hercules. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, uh, you know, we talked about this being a connection with Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, but I think this is also a connection with the day of Pentecost. You got it, buddy. Kind of a reversal of Babel and... You know, again, there we saw people from all over the place that had come in with their different languages from different nations, uh, lots of different skin colors probably, probably represented there too. And uh, we see them all get to um, hear the word of God in their own tongue. So um, overcoming that language barrier there and um, the and experiencing the salvation of the Lord um, as the, the gospel of Christ impacted them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And, uh, and so we see another arc here in scripture coming to conclusion, maybe um, that beautiful picture there. And, and I think too, we see that a lot of this starts right near the beginning when um when the promises were coming to Abraham and God was saying that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And now we see that they have been and blessed through the seed of Abraham, which was Christ. And, and so, uh, and that's the lamb that is referred to here that they're worshiping um, that 
so the lamb of God that has saved them is the seed of Abraham that was promised. And the result of this too, then that another part of the promise to Abraham was that his descendants, the, the, these would be the ones who belong to the savior, Jesus. Uh, they would be as, um, as vast in number as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And now we see that this is a great multitude that no one could number exactly as God had promised. Yeah, that's good stuff. <clears throat> there are a lot of really awesome connections back to the Old Testament and the life of Christ and just pulling all of this together. It's kind of cool how we hit this too, right around Holy Week, where we got, you know, uh, we got the, the triumphal entry being drawn in and we're looking ahead toward the days of Pentecost. And we're like right in that time in the church here where it all just kind of connects and comes together. And, and you it's, know what the best part of it is? We didn't plan it at all. Nope. Like that's the best. Part. I love when stuff works out like that. Like I feel like the A team, bro. I love it when a plan comes together and the Holy Spirit's just like, here you go. We're just going to, we're going to do this whole thing just for you. you gotta he's got to be Mr. T though, right? Yeah. With I, bling. He's I, got... I get. I wanted to be BA, but whatever. So wait, which one am I? I don't know. All right, Ben's Mr. T. That's the only thing that matters. Yo, obviously Ben's Mr. T. Lacking something there. <laughs> I uh, Gretchen's been doing a lot of crocheting as she recovers from surgery. I'll have her crochet you a mohawk you can stick on there. Perfect. <laughs> uh, well, clearly, clearly this isn't about this team being so great. Uh, the Lord does work in these mysterious ways, though, and it is so fun as a pastor to see this happen all the time. You know, unbeknownst to me, the Lord lines up um, topics and themes and with things that are going on in our life and the life of the church. And, and we see that despite all of our bumbling around and all of our shortcomings the lord is ministering to us and and that's so encouraging and we need it i mean this is a message too that's coming um to a people that have been experiencing the trials of life right we're gonna we see that later in the text um tribulations and all this stuff and in this broken world and um and, and we needed to be encouraged by it. This is also being contrasted with the portion right before this, where we saw the church militant. The church was lined up in their kind of military orders and numberings, and they were ready to go into battle to serve the Lord in this life, going on his mission of saving souls and doing battle against the evil one and his forces. And, and so the church militant goes into battle and they are going to experience death and, and the awful things of war. Um, and now we get to see the church triumphant and how encouraging that is at this point to, to see the contrast of what happens after all of those nasty battles and all the troubles coming before the Lord and in this beautiful, pure, rejoicing, triumphant picture. So here in Revelation, it's not just this crowd that is uh, of saints that is praising Jesus. We find out there in verse 11 that it's they're actually being joined by, uh, by all of the angels, the, the messengers of God. Um, the elders, you know, we talked about those earlier, the 24 elders kind of represented the Old Testament, and New Testament churches together, uh, the four living creatures, all of them falling on their faces and, and worshiping God. And it, it reminded me um, of the passage in, in Philippians chapter two, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those in heaven on an earth and those under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. We're kind of seeing a bit of a picture there. We've got this great multitude praising Jesus. We've got all of the elders. We've got uh, the angels, the living creatures, everyone falling down and worshiping God. Pretty amazing scene that we have in heaven here. I don't know if this is a good point to jump in and and bring up some of the different interpretations we've heard of this 
but um some people have done some really interesting things with this text and part of it that comes to mind right now that seems pertinent is that some have said that you know this crowd at the beginning is not not including the jews right but it's only the gentiles and that somehow that they are going to have lesser status because supposedly what what some say is that that there had been the rapture of all of the the actual church and and the kind of the, the the real believers at that time and then that later there's this great tribulation that comes after that that um um, comes upon the people that are left behind and then some of them convert in those last days and then they come in here and and they somehow have a lesser status lesser saints um, at this point and and that they will maintain that lesser status for eternity um, and I just want to say that if you I don't know if you guys want to talk anymore about those details but some of those kinds of thoughts seem to be completely absent from all of the texts that we've looked at and especially here. And, and there's no sense of any of these people having a lesser status or, um, or that they are being differentiated, uh, like a, a lesser group of people. And, uh, or that there's even a distinction or a lack of unity here in the group because we've got the great multitude from every group being brought in and also the reference to the 24 elders, which we believe represents the whole church, Old Testament and New Testament, the 12, um, 12 uh, leaders of the tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles representing the the, the believers from throughout all time. Um, and, and we see that they are all together worshiping the Lord. And so um, I think some of those thoughts should be ruled out because they're not here in the text. I don't know if you guys want to jump in there. You know, me, uh, hold on. Let me, let me just share this. This is what Ben is thinking right now. <laughs> Way to bring up some Mr. T. That's nice. Oh. You know, if if anybody ever deserved to be a lower class saint, right? You're you're looking at him right here. I've met myself. I'm a pretty wretched sinner. I don't deserve anything. But nowhere in scripture does it teach that, you know, even though I deserve to be the lowest of the saints or even not a saint at all, that I am something less. Um, Christ died even for a wretch like me. His blood is enough to forgive even my sins. His perfect life clothes me perfectly in his righteousness. And so I am truly a saint, though I don't deserve it, just like every other believer in Christ. So having a two-tiered um, view of the saints really does, does violence to what we just celebrated in Easter. It makes the sacrifice of Christ and his perfect life somehow less for some people. Um, that's yeah. dangerous territory when you start messing around there. It's, it's also contrary to what we read in the Gospels, too. Mm -hmm. Like, like when you look through the Gospels, when his disciples would get out of line and say, you know, Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Let us sit on your right and on your left. And Jesus is like, that, that's not that's not how it's going to be. It's not how any of this works. Yeah. And I, f I forget the name of the parable, but what's the name of the one or how do we refer to it where you got some people who started working early in the day and they and then you get some people that show up at the end of the work day and they all get paid the same. Right. Workers and then vineyard or whatever. Yeah. And and uh, and then they the ones who are there early in the day complain, oh, why didn't we get paid more? Why did they get paid the same as us, even though they hardly worked at all? They came in right at the end. We'd already done all the work and. There was nothing left for them to do. And, and yet you gave him a full day's wage. And he says, I can do what I want. I'm the one who's dishing this out. And he was gracious to those who came in at the last moment. Right. Yeah, and, and I think oh, that's a picture ahead. of this day, you know? Yeah. And just even looking at the language, right. It's how can you look at the language and say, you know, people from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, and say, oh, that's just referring to 
Gentiles and not Jews. Um, mm-hmm. Did it not say all? That's what it means. Um, and so they're kind of adding all <laughs> minus the important one is kind of what they're doing. Yeah. And, uh, and it, you know, and that's built in the same error that tries to draw a distinction or a sharp distinction between uh, those of Jewish descent and the Gentiles in the church. And that kind of division is not biblical and it's wrong and we should get rid of it. Um, and also with this whole <clears throat> thing too, like of the, you know, like second class saints or whatever, like this it flies in the face of what St. Paul tells us that, that all of us who, you know, have been saved by Christ, have been baptized into him, have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have all received the Holy spirit. Um, St. Paul says there's no distinction in terms of status between, you know, whether, you know, based on ethnicity or gender or, you know, place in society, whether you are, you know, slave or free or whatever, you know, there's none of that factors into, you know, your standing before God. Um, Because, and how could you have different classes of saints when the only reason we are saints is because we have the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Is there more perfect righteousness to be given to some than others that all of this kind of thinking is really quite ridiculous. Um, And such an interpretation really honestly ought to be laughed out of any kind of serious consideration. Um, And, and some of this comes out of certain ways of, you know, certain, I don't know, frameworks of approaching a revelation, because this kind of idea is rooted in this idea of, you know, well, um, the church are those who are, were raptured before all of this stuff started. And so then these come in later, and that's why they're, they're a lesser class. But this whole, again, and it probably offends some people, but this whole rapture idea the only place that we ever even get that word <laughs> um, is out of first Thessalonians. And it means to be caught up in the air with Christ. And if you just look at the context and you read that, that catching up into the air is simultaneous with Christ's second coming. So there is no such thing as this secret rapture of the church that removes part of the people of God from the earth before all this other stuff happens. It's simply not biblical. It's not there. Because when again, those people are raptured on that day when he comes, it is anything but secret, too. Right. Right. And so, one, that kind of division um, of the people of God is simply not a biblical understanding. Uh, and so all of this kind of stuff that gets built into it, it's not built on the scriptures. It's just built on human imaginings. And I think if you honestly look at the text and you read what it says and you pay attention to the context that house of cards comes crashing down pretty easily so that those kinds of ideas we want to just leave them behind because it has nothing to do with what god actually says in his word so i can be the curmudgeon for today it's funny (laughs) that you said we should leave them behind when the left behind books taught that theology of the rapture We're really, I guess they were fiction, so they didn't teach it, but they held to it as they told us. I left those behind. Yes. <laughs> Leaving left behind, behind, huh? I suppose. Uh, why don't we look a little bit at, at verse 12 here? Um, we get to what the angels and the elders and the living creatures and that multitude are saying as they, as they praise God. There's probably some good stuff we can pull out of here. It says, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What, what kind of depth can we plumb? At? No, that's the wrong word. What, what can we get out of here? I think I would like to connect it back to that previous statement of, um, of what was being sung. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And it had said that they, they had all come clothed in white robes. And, um, and so they had been washed clean. The lamb of God, Jesus had paid for their sins. 
and um, and they were now clothed in his righteousness. And so he is the one who saved them. It wasn't because of them, just like you were saying, Mike, it's not because of us that we are somehow worthy of salvation. In fact, quite the opposite. We are so unworthy and we do not deserve to be there that day. And yet we can have confidence that we will be because of what Christ, our Lamb of God, has done for us and that we are now clothed in his righteousness. And so who else deserves any glory at this point other than him? And the answer is no one. And so all of these people are, are coming with gratitude for this great gift of salvation Christ's righteousness having been given to them. And even the angels who have been watching all of this um, and engaging these battles, they recognize who the victorious King is and who has been at work behind the scenes and in the public eye um, at times throughout all of history, being the one who is deserving of glory and, and who is truly the one who has power and might that is everlasting. Yeah, I really like the, I just think it's kind of neat that in both statements, in both songs of praise, it is our God, right? And this is confessed not only by human saints, right? So human beings, but the angels, the four living creatures, along with the elders, we're all saying the same thing, right? This is our God, and we praise and worship our God. We bow before our God together, right? And this is kind of a neat picture. It's not just us. It's angels and archangels. It's the four living creatures. It's all the hosts of heaven. We're confessing the same thing. We're saying the same thing. We're worshiping the same God and the same lamb. And again, I know we've said this before, but it brings us back to Sunday morning, right? As we gather together as the people of God, we don't just mean those people in that particular location, but all of God's people on earth throughout the earth, as well as all those who uh, the faithful departed who are before the throne awaiting the resurrection of their bodies as they, they bow in worship before the same God and the same lamb and all of the, again, the angels and the archangels, the entire hosts of heaven. Together we worship our God and the lamb in whom has, you know, who has provided salvation for us sinners who deserves all adoration and praise and blessing and glory and honor and wisdom and all of these things. It's all together. And so, you know, even though we're in particular locations scattered throughout the earth, when we gather together, we really are gathering together, all of us, the entirety of the body of Christ, uh, whether in heaven or on earth and all of the hosts of heaven together. And so that's kind of a, a neat thing. If we could try to, you know, lift our gaze from simply the you know, the four walls and the ceiling above us and the people who are sitting next to us, not that we ignore those who are next to us, but if we could see, you know, with our mind's eye, the, you know, the eyes of faith, the entirety of the body of Christ and all the hosts of heaven together, worshiping and praising and giving honor to our God and to the lamb who has saved us. That's a pretty cool thing. I was really hoping you were going to pull the Lord's Supper into that too, Ben. Oh, go ahead. No, I want you to do it. You'll do it better <laughs> than me. <clears throat> no, that was awesome, Ben. Good stuff. All right. Any more thoughts on the first couple of verses here? Or should we come down to the elder talking to John in verse 13? Let's jump into 13. All right. Uh, so one of the elders comes up to John, which I, I don't know, this, this passage has always seemed strange to me, 
Because the elder walks up to John, who's being shown this vision, and asks John, who are these people that are clothed in white? Where did they come from? You'd think the question would really go the other way around, wouldn't you? That John would see this and then ask someone else what's going on? Another time in Revelation? You think that this is the Natali elder? or (laughs) I'm sure it's the Natali elder, actually. That's what I figured. Yeah. Ask the guy who looks really confused and shocked by these visions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ben, I'm not sure if it does happen another time in Revelation. I don't recall. I thought there was one more time, but maybe I'm misremembering. See, I kind of wonder if this isn't the elder sort of making sure John gets the point, right? Like this this is really important stuff, John. And it's amazing and it's wonderful and it's crazy. You just heard the whole host of heaven and all the saints praising God and the lamb. You know, I want to make sure you really get it. That's, that's how I've taken it at least. Yeah. Which, which we know is a, it's a fairly common thing for, you know, for teachers to do or so on. So early ask a, a question, you know, for those whom are teaching and ask them a question. Um, Cause it, you know, tests their knowledge or lets us know where they're, where they're at instead of just giving them information or like, okay, you answer the question. Let's see how much, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's okay to say, I don't know, or sir, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) I feel like my response would have been less eloquent. I would have been like, (laughs) why are you asking me? (laughs) Maybe that's what it sounded like in Greek. But. It, it probably did. Yeah, <laughs> he probably like mixed Aramaic and Greek together, and it kind of came out really funny. So, uh, but, <laughs> but the elder responds, and he says something really interesting, and it's something that um, people have taken in a whole lot of different ways too. He says these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. The next line, pretty much everybody agrees on. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They're saved because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Their their sins are washed, though they were like scarlet. They are made as white as snow, gone as far as the east is from the west, et cetera, and so forth. But that first bit, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, has given interpreters um, a lot of different problems. um, Because depending on kind of your, your framework as you get here, you might see that great tribulation as, as something really different than the way other people see it, right? Like Ben already spoke a little bit to this, talking about the rapture, right? Because there are, there are many who, who believe that once the rapture happen, happens and the believers are taken to heaven, then this period of the great tribulation begins, a seven-year period before the return of Christ in the millennial kingdom. Um, but not everybody so, that. Yeah. Part of the question then, I guess, is, um, or there's maybe two questions here. There's one about the coming out and, and the timing of that. But then there's this idea of the great tribulation. So what does it mean great? Is this somehow different than the common tribulation that we recognize, you know, the church has always been going through since, you know, Christ ascended, um, that he told us to expect, is this something different and greater? Um, And when it says the great tribulation, is it talking about one particular time? And and some people are arguing then that this is a, um, a particular greater tribulation that will come at the end in the future. Um, and, uh, and so, I mean, th- we should discuss that probably a little bit here in Matthew 24. It does also refer to um, then there will be great tribulation. so it's not the first time this kind of description is used. So that could be a, a point of reference for us. But so what do we do with great tribulation or the great tribulation? Throwing it to the throwing it to the wolves here. You guys can. He tossed it to the tribe of Natali specifically. <laughs> uh, I'm going 
to well, perfectly volleyball set it up to Ben for the spike. <laughs> I, I think one thing we can, uh, since seeing it as it was sent to Ben, I'm taking over. One thing that we can affirm is that many places throughout the New Testament, um, Jesus, along with the apostles and, and others, have said that tribulation is going to come. Like the, the church is going to suffer, right? Uh, John, even at the beginning of the book of Revelation in, in chapter one, verse nine, um, says that he's our brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So, so really the question is, you know, is it just the, the tribulation being talked about and it's being called great because there is great suffering? You know, here in America, we're not suffering like a lot of places have been. Um, under persecution, but persecution has been happening to the church all over the place throughout, and people have suffered. So is it being called that, or is it referring to that later time, um, closer to when Christ returns? Though, um, you know, he also says he'd come back at any moment. So, so I mean, to your first point there, um, I think that we can say that it would be sufficient to look back at the entire period of the church where there has been tribulation throughout across the world, um, that that it would be easy to see that in summary being called the Great Tribulation because it certainly has been great. And throughout all of history, God's people all around the world have experienced trial and tribulation and suffering. And, and, there's, uh, and it has been great suffering for sure. And, um, and so that I think that that would be a sufficient understanding if that's what it's referring to. Um, and, and, but then, you know, I guess, is there, is it a future time, you know, maybe we should talk about that because there's debate over this and there's a couple different ways people do it, who see it as a future thing. And even um, uh, from different kind of uh, structures or how do we say it different, uh, methods of interpretation of eschatology, um, dispensational, uh, millennial, different, you know, people from different viewpoints would still see this as being future, but in different ways. So, um, Ben, you talked before the recording about um, understanding this in light of the fact that we're told that Jesus can come at any moment. I don't know if you want to insert your thoughts on that here. I think they're pertinent. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, so we kind of run into a couple, you know, we could say interpretive hurdles, perhaps that we had to work through when we look at some of this stuff. And some of that is just simply that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we can ask the question, well, here in Revelation, is it described as great tribulation on purpose? Like, as to say, this particular tribulation being spoken of is, be, is being made distinct from this other tribulation by saying, by giving it the descriptor of great, or is it essentially being used synonymously with the general tribulation and trouble that, um, for example, that Jesus tells us that the church will experience. And so, so that's one of the, one of the interpretive, you know, questions to ask, is it, is it being used to specify this particular one, or is it, being used in a way that is synonymous with the other tribulation mentioned. Um, and so that's where some are saying, well, it's, you know, the descriptor of great is there for a reason. So we think it's speaking of something a little bit different or a, or a different part of this larger period of tribulation. Um, one of the other kind of troubles that we run into when we're trying to look at all of this too is um, we know from scripture that Jesus can return at any time. And this is something that we always must keep in mind um, because this actually throws a wrench in a whole lot of uh, eschatological schemes and charts and all of that is that, you know, Jesus can come back at any time. This is the point of his parable of the thief in the night, right? Um, the thief doesn't broadcast when, he comes, he just shows up. And the parables that Jesus tells about the servants who, whose master went on a journey, they didn't know when he was coming back. And so they did what they wanted. 
And then their master showed up unexpectedly and now there's judgment because they were wicked servants. Right. And, you know, and Jesus tells us very clearly, you do not know the day nor the hour. Right. So one that should put to rest all attempts to plot out when Jesus will return. He says, we don't know. So stick to that. Even if Um, I'm special, Ben, what if I'm special though? Yeah. You're not that special. Okay. It's true. It's true. If you feel special, like you might know when the last day is, Ben's words are for you. Um, pretty sure you can't override Jesus. Um, so, so given that Jesus can return at any time, then we must conclude that, you know, like, if he were to come tonight, then we must conclude that whatever, like, if this great tribulation is a distinct part of the general tribulation, that it's already happened then, that it has now reached its conclusion. Um, and so part of the trouble is, is trying to, if you try too hard to nail down when, like if you see them as distinct things, when one ends and the other begins. And so, and I think that we should really, 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 as fascinating as it might be, as much as it catches our curiosity we must steadfastly resist the urge to nail down times and seasons and dates. Okay. Cause we don't know. And so, you know, if it's distinct things, we're not going to know when the one ends and the other begins, there isn't going to be any, you know, Harold or, you know, pillar of smoke in the sky or something like that, that says, now begins the great tribulation. We're not going to know that. Um, you know, just like, you know, as we were talking about before, yeah, you know, Thanos isn't going to snap his fingers and everybody disappeared. Oh, there's your rapture. Sorry. Oh, they came back though. So that's, it is. Oh, no. Dude, what if you haven't seen that yet? Dude, it's been like, how many years? I don't know. Yeah, it's, he's, you're probably um, okay, Ben. So, you know, but we see that, you know, in the, as we were talking about before too, in Revelation 20 with the releasing of Satan shortly before the return of Christ, you know, there isn't going to be some, you know, I don't know, the sky turns red or something or some evil omen that appears to say now Satan has been released. Um, We're not going to know it. Um, So, you know, we'll just know that, you know, whenever it is that Jesus returns, then we'll know that all of those things happened because Jesus said they're going to happen. But we don't get to know ahead of time. Because again, that's not the point where if we are trying to focus in on, you know, things like, oh, when does the great tribulation begin? Or when is the release of satan going to happen we are completely distracted and that is not the point um those things will happen again if if great tribulation is distinct from you know more general tribulation it's going to happen when god wills it to happen when is satan going to be released when god wills that satan be released what does it mean for us the exact same thing that it means now we persevere to the end it's the same message that we saw to the seven churches that he who you know is faithful to the end will receive the crown of life it doesn't change anything for us because our focus should be where it always has been on christ and his promises he's coming again he's bringing our our final and full salvation when he comes and when that is it doesn't matter god has not given it to us to care about it and to be concerned about it. That's not our responsibility to worry about. Jesus will come back when he comes back. What we are given to do is to be faithful to the word of God, to proclaim the gospel to all peoples, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, to love our our neighbors and serve them until such time as we die or Jesus returns. That's all we are to be concerned with. What time is it going to be? When is it going to happen? doesn't matter. It's not given to us to know. So all of this effort that we have, you know, that the American church in particular has put into all of these charts and all of these, you know, all the ink and wasted paper and all of these books that they've written about this is going to happen first and then this and then this and all of this stuff. 
doesn't matter. It's not given to us to know. All of that stuff is worthless, honestly, because Jesus has plainly told us, you don't know and you aren't going to know. And that's okay because you don't need to know. He's given us what we need to do now. He's given us the promises to believe, the message to proclaim. He's given us the good works to do that we know from his law. And that's what we do. And he'll come back when he comes back. And everything will happen the way that he says it will happen. And that's all we need to care about. It really doesn't matter. We don't, we don't know. We cannot know. Let's stop wasting our time being distracted by that. There's, there's <laughs> Ben, there's so much peace in that. Right? There's so much peace in that. We have everything we need. Focus on Christ. Do what he has called you to do and just trust that he said he's coming back. Be ready. There's so much peace. Quit stressing out. Quit worrying. Rest in Christ. Abide in him. Love your neighbor. Bear good fruit. It's great stuff. And, you know, if we, even if this great tribulation is referring to a distinct period in the future, you know, what you're saying is that we won't necessarily know that it has started um, or the timing of all of that to even still be able to predict when Jesus will come back. And we don't have to um, just like with Job, you know, that we get a peek behind the curtain to see that God had removed the, the restrictions on the devil to allow him to attack Job in a more direct way. And, um, and, and that could be compared to the releasing of Satan at the end. The fact of the matter is Job wasn't privy to that information while it was happening. And this came upon Job and he didn't understand it. Um, and, and he wasn't able to use that to, you know, predict anything or to decode anything or to know exactly what was going on with it. He just endured it. Things just got hard for him and, and he had to cry out to God and he trusted God throughout the process. And the same is true for us because, you know, we don't always understand what's going on around us. And certainly there's no lack of tribulation in the world to say that, well, it's not bad right now. So uh, maybe we're not in the, the great tribulation, but, you know, Again, there's been tribulation happening consistently across the world throughout history, and we might not realize, you know, when we're close to the end. Um, and also, I think, you know, as we think about this, then the in verse 14, it says that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, not those who came out of the great tribulation, as if it's referring to only one moment in history. Uh, but like a continual coming out. And that seems to give the sense that this has been happening, um, is happening. And um, so not lending itself towards an idea of a great rapture where all of the believers come in at one specific point in time, but that this is happening as they come in continually and I think that lends itself towards the understanding that I believe that we all hold to that this is the church of God. Um, people are coming into this crowd and gathering as they die throughout the, the tribulation, throughout the church age. Um, and and, uh, and concluding then in the, the great judgment day. And so it's then as you encounter death or as judgment day comes and interrupts, then that's what is bringing people to this gathering point, not a single point in time, like a rapture would, would uh, lead us to believe. I don't know if yeah, that's a good explanation of the different ways that could be taken. Yeah. I think that that works just fine. Um, and to sometimes, you know, Sometimes this idea of the of the rapture is kind of put forth because it's kind of like, woohoo, we're going to skip out. We don't have to deal with the tribulation. We can, you know, we won't have to suffer. You know, it's our great escape. And, you know, scripture is very clear that we don't get to escape uh, from that. We won't all suffer to the same degree or experience the same degree of tribulation uh, in the church. But um, 
we will indeed go through it. Um, there's, there is no escape, as it were, other than to come out of the tribulation into the presence of Christ or Jesus' return. But, you know, and, and maybe for some, this kind of a scary thought, like, oh, I, I don't want to go through this, or well, you're already in it, so tough. But anyways, um, <laughs> but, but sometimes that, that thought of, you know, suffering or greater tribulation, you know, uh, can be kind of scary. But here's, here's where you focus, right? One, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb, right? So we are clothed with Christ's righteousness, number one. Then here's where you focus. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is it fun to go through suffering? No. Is it painful? Of course. It's not pleasant. But guess what? That's what's waiting. That's what's on the other side. Right? And so whatever we suffer here on this earth, to whatever degree, you know, as Jesus says, the most that the devil and all of the world can do is kill our bodies. That's it. Do we want that? No. <laughs> is that pleasant to think about? No. But that's all they can do. Because this waits on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. All of that. Like, that's the whole point of this, is that when we come to the end of our life in this age, when our bodies die, that's where we are. You join the multitude, right? Before the throne of God with the angels and archangels, the living, four living creatures, all the hosts of heaven, all the saints who have gone before, you're there with them. You're part of that multitude. You're washed in the blood of Christ, right? And you're clean. And you're before God's throne and you serve him day and night and you sing praises to him with all the, the hosts of heaven. And guess what? The lamb in the midst of the throne is also your shepherd and he'll wipe away every tear from your eyes. That's what's waiting. Mm -hmm. and I think in light of that, you know, that's what gives us hope and perseverance in, in the midst of suffering and trial. I mean, all that, all that Jesus spoke to the churches through John, right, about perseverance and endurance. That's why we can, sorry, I'm pointing at my screen. That's where my Bible is. That's, was, that's why <laughs> we can endure such things and why we can have hope. Even, in, even if the suffering is the, the worst, you know, it's still painful. Yeah, but it's not eternal. And so, you know, again, the most that can happen in this age for the Christian is that the body dies and, and it's sad and it's painful and all of that. But this is what wait, awaits immediately is you join that multitude that no one can number. And that's a pretty cool thing and should give us a lot of comfort in the midst of trial and, and persecution in the midst of opposition in this world and thinking about, you know, enduring through tribulation. This is what waits. And if we want to tie it right back, it waits for us because Jesus rose from the dead. Because he died on Good Friday and he rose from the dead. And so therefore all of this is our inheritance. And that's pretty cool. Hey, Ben, can you do me a favor? I know you have the exact same mic stand as me. So there's a little screw on the bottom. I want you to twist that uh, to the left until your microphone comes off and then just drop it. Oh, no, I don't want to drop my mic. <laughs> <laughs> I Honestly, I can't think of a better way to finish that, Ben. You tied an awesome bow on that. You brought us back to the cross, um, and you pointed us to everything that waits for us in heaven, even though we might suffer today. So great things to be reminded of. Um, anybody have a closing thought before uh, I ask Matt to pray for us? I was just thinking about some visits I had recently with some elderly people that are going through the tough process of, of their bodies failing and all the, these troubles and wondering why the Lord still has them on this earth and why th stuff is so tough to go through as believers. And, you know, right now our experience is as the church militant, right? And we're still down here in the mess of this world fighting battles 
and going through losses and feeling our bodies failing and seeing our loved ones around us falling and, uh, and dying and such. And, um, and part of this message is, you know, we're still here doing God's work until his work of salvation is done until he comes back again. Right. And we have to slog through every day and say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you as long as you give me breath and I'm going to fight every battle in front of me as long as you give me strength. And yet we have the hope that the church militant is also the church triumphant. And so we can go through these daily battles and even experience pain and loss with this hope again of what Ben was saying of what's on the other side that definitely waits for all who trust in Christ, the Lamb of God, who is our Savior. And so on the other side of all of this, uh, this struggle and battle and all of this is this great um, life of, of enjoying Christ's victory. And we'll all get to be there, who, all who trust in him. So, Awesome. Matt, will you close us up in a word of prayer? Let's do it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we need this encouragement uh, because this world is so broken. There's so much sin and evil and, and loss, um, our bodies failing us as uh, we grow older and we all look towards dying one day, um, unless you come back again before that day. Uh, Lord, we all are going to face it and go through that, um, and some... Um, some will be martyred and lose their lives quickly uh, and violently to, um, to the devil and his workers and those who follow him in this world. Um, and, and yet, Lord, through all of these different types of trials and tribulations, pains and losses, Lord, we trust that uh, we march on to victory and that we are here doing your work because you're still trying to save souls. And so, Lord, use us here in this world Help us to realize that every breath that we have every day that you give us is for some good purpose of yours in, in carrying out your mission in this world. But also may we hold on to the hope that, that one day when we come before you and meet you, whether through death or you coming on the clouds and, and gathering us up together with you and taking us home, Lord, that we will one day sit with you uh, before your throne and enjoy your presence and, and your victory and that you will wipe every tear away from our eyes. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you'd give us each uh, strength and faith to hold on to that hope. Be with all of those who are suffering around the world. Help them to persevere and to keep their eyes fixed on you. We thank you so much for Jesus, the Lamb of God, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. See you.